You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Justin Favela. Justin is an incredible visual artist and the co-host of a great podcast called Latinos Who Lunch. He is friends with Kim Miller, who created the cover art for The Compass. She was also on episode 13. They're friends out in Las Vegas, and she introduced me to Latinos Who Lunch uh, when it came out last year. I've listened ever since. It's hilarious and thought-provoking and just really charming. I was so excited to have had the chance to talk with Justin over Skype for this episode and hear about his artwork and starting the podcast and figuring out a life in the arts in Las Vegas. Please check out Latinos Who Lunch, and while you're in the iTunes store, if you have a moment, please leave the compass a little rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. And Happy New Year. It's going to be a difficult year for all of us in many different ways, so let's keep it moving, let's stay active and productive, and really help each other in 2017. I hope you enjoy the 58th episode of The Compass. So what do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Um, and what is the dark side for you? (laughs) Well, chicken nuggets, mostly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, what is the dark side for me? Um, as an artist, I think that, uh, just staying motivated and not doubting yourself. That's probably my biggest struggle. So uh, whenever I find myself with a 20-piece ticket, I know that it's time to reset. (laughs) There's something really going on in my life that I need to evaluate. So, um, yeah, I think, like I said, yeah, staying motivated and, uh, you know, being an artist isn't the easiest thing. So you really have to have a passion for it. And sometimes... The encouragement of others isn't enough. You really have to kind of be in this groove and motivation within yourself kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I, find myself, I find myself in these slumps where I'm feeling very creative and very motivated to work. And then all of a sudden, like the last two weeks, like I haven't made anything in my studio. Yeah. And I feel really bad about it. And I know I can just change that immediately by going in and making something, but <laughs> I haven't yet. But tomorrow will be the day that that starts. <laughs> yeah, I guess sometimes it's about just starting before you have the inspiration and just the act of starting. Well, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of my, my resolution this year is to have a schedule. Like, all right, I'm going to be in the studio this many hours every day, no matter what in the morning and I'm going to see how it works. Usually I feel most creative at night. That's usually when I work, but I don't know. I think there's something about waking up in the morning and just going, going to work that, that is important. And I think is more productive. Yeah. Well, that's a good risk. Yeah. I kind of love that we're talking right at the beginning of the new year. I know. Right. Yeah. This year is going to be something everybody's like, Oh my God, 2016 sucked. I can't wait for this new year to start. But 
2017 is going to be rough, everybody. <laughs> I, that's how I feel, too. It's like I, it's, we're getting closer to January 20th. I'm <laughs> very nervous. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. 2016 was great for me. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, it's, it, this year is going to be rough, I feel. Yeah. Can I ask what your... Do you have a day job right now, or are you just doing your artwork? Well, yeah, my main job is doing my art now, which is incredible. That just happened like two years ago. That's fantastic. Um, but I do have a, you know, I do have to pay my rent once in a while. I, mm-hmm. I do need a little bit of steady income. So I actually work for Clark County Parks and Recreation here in Las Vegas, and I'm their art curator. Oh, so, cool. <laughs> it's such a, it's a pretty sweet job. I, it's like 20 hours a week max. I don't even have to work that much. And I'm in charge of uh, the exhibitions in two of the county buildings. That's amazing. So, yeah. So I, I curate the gallery in, the, in that cultural center. And then I, there's a big government building here that I curate the, the, the work for in this big common area. So um, that's, that's probably my main job. I also have, I'm also an art handler, like many artists. So mm-hmm. I'm on call whenever some rich person decides they want a painting over a different piece of furniture, that's when I go and change it, you know? That must be interesting to get a peek into those people's uh, houses and stuff. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, It's, it's exciting to see like all of this art in people's houses, but it's also very depressing to see how the other side lives. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's a novel Um, in that, like you could write a book about those, the things you observe. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I've, I've done some art jobs where I'm like, Oh my gosh, this work that I'm moving here is worth more than my life. Like I have to be careful. (laughs) Like, if I drop this, like I'm dead. Like, this is it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm just curious. Like that financial part of it is so weird for artists of all kinds. So, yeah, I like having that honest conversation about. So what's your what's your side hustle? What's yours? How do you make this work? All yeah. of that. Um, you have to have a bunch. Yeah, I mean, you have to have little side hustles unless you're one of those magic art stars that just like has a gallery that's really putting in the work and and all your your focus is just to keep producing you know yeah do you always work independently or do you um do a lot of collaborative stuff I try to I try to work collaboratively all the time because it really it motivates me to be working with other people so a lot of my artwork focuses on my identity and it also brings in my family a lot of the time so a lot, a lot of my work is about my family, and I get to collaborate with them, and just a, a lot of collaborations with other artists too. I really enjoy doing that because any time that I collaborate on a painting or a sculpture with somebody else, it I learn something new, um, and that's really exciting. Like my friend, I have a friend in town. His name is Jesse Smigel, mm-hmm. and he uh, he he is like a desert pirate. I consider him. He's amazing. (laughs) He's such a weirdo. And, uh, he has this big styrofoam studio in his backyard. So that's his main medium. And before I didn't used to use styrofoam, but I worked with him a couple years ago on a big project and 
now I regularly use styrofoam in, in my work. So it oh, always kind of cool. changes your perspective and just the materials you use. You just feel more comfortable. So in that simple way, it's a really cool thing. And then also just being around other people. Um, and, you know, there's always the storyline of this artist in a studio, like, by himself going through it and, like, you know, channeling his energy <laughs> or her energy into this artwork. And that to me, that's bullshit. I'd rather have other people in my space working with me, you know, uh, at, currently in the studio space that I'm in now, uh, I have friends working here with me. Like, so... Oh, cool. I, I, I don't use the walls because I'm not a 2D painter. So uh, I have my friend Lance Smith in the studio painting and while I'm working on a sculpture on the other side of the studio. And that's nice. just, that's motivating in itself. Yeah. It, whenever you see someone else like really, really doing their thing, it keeps you on your toes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. I'm just going to ask you, I think the mic is rubbing a little bit on your sweatshirt. Oh, no. If you don't mind just shifting okay. it a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah. Perfect. That's great. So how long have you had your own studio space? Uh, It changes. So usually my studio is in my garage at my house. Mm -hmm. And um, I've gotten a lot of really cool opportunities. Right now I'm in like a commercial space downtown that has uh, like a mid-rise building above it. Mm -hmm. So it's a really sweet setup. I'm in a storefront basically and then i live above it um and it's an experiment with the with the property owner um he's he's just trying it out um and i'm the first artist and resident at this building so it's just a crazy opportunity just he the the owner randomly came up to me at an art show and offered me the space so oh my gosh uh, yeah that's what that's why but and before this I was at a co-working space uh, that had a garage behind it in in Vegas here, and I was working out of that garage. So I just kind of go from studio to studio because I really can't afford to to rent one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get creative. Mm-hmm. And have you have you always lived in Vegas? I don't remember. Yeah. You always. Yeah, have. I was born and raised here. Yeah. That's something I wanted to ask you about because I'm I grew up in Michigan and then I moved to I've been in New York for eleven years. Um, uh-huh. and I'm so interested and I, I find it wonderful that you've stuck with Las Vegas and you're so involved. You've made your art such a part of the city and you've really like, you've really, um, like used all of your resources and opportunities in the city where you grew up. And I think that's wonderful. What's, what's that like for you? Yeah. I mean, I love, I love Vegas. I, I, I was born and raised here, so to me it's home and I, I see myself traveling. I'm, I see myself maybe even living somewhere else, but I'm always going to come back to Las Vegas. And it's just such an interesting place. Um, to me, it's normal. It's just like, a, just like a normal town. But I do love when friends visit or I just meet people for the first time and they can't believe that I live in such a weird town. Right. <laughs> and it's like, get to see, yeah, I, I get to see Vegas through their eyes when I come. And then I, it, it you know, it, it reminds me of what a cool place this is just because, I mean, Vegas is always changing and it's really a reflection of the world here, like of, of what people want or I don't know. To me now, Vegas is becoming this like very 
globalized version of of uh, kind of entertainment districts all over the world. So like traveling, no matter where I go, I see Las Vegas because it's mm-hmm. trying to attract people from everywhere. Right. right. Yeah. And I mean, I have all my family here and we we're all connected to this town. Most of my family works in the casinos, you know, maintenance and cleaning or in the restaurants mm-hmm. and it's just uh it's the city has been good to our family so i think because of them i'll be around here for a long time and also we're in the west so for artists it's nice because we have a little bit more space than yeah in other places where <laughs> a, a studio the size that i have is i don't think I could find, you know, like in New York. Yeah. Right. Or no, I'm a little unless... jealous of the cost of living out there. A I little know. jealous. It's, it's <laughs> pretty good right now. We'll see how we'll see what happens after this year. Cause they just legalized marijuana and that's gonna oh. like for recreational use. And we'll see, we'll see if that brings a lot of people over here or we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. That might. Um, what is, what does your family make of you being an artist and, and being a part of your work? Uh, I don't think they get it. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> I think my mom is finally understanding. Like she finally has accepted like this past year that I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple years ago, she had this serious conversation with me. It was like, Justin, I, I really think this art thing that you're doing is taking over your life and you really need to focus on I'm getting your shit together. And I'm like, mom, art is my life. What are you talking about? <laughs> she thought it was a distraction, right? Well, it, you so, you majored in it in school, right? You studied art in yeah. school. But it's, it's, they thought that I was studying art to teach art. Gotcha. So, um, and I kind of went with it, to be honest. Like, I was just like, yeah, sure. I'm going to be an art teacher. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. No problem. So, sure, mom. Uh, Sometimes to my grandmas, I do have to just be like, yeah, I'm an art teacher. I'm doing great. The school I work at is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but... Uh, no, it can be hard. It can be a weird I lifestyle. Don't know. They're my family. Oh, sorry. You broke up for a second. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, it's, it's because it's not a steady income. And I think, especially for immigrant families... The idea of choosing that lifestyle is mind-boggling. Like, wait a minute, you live in Las Vegas, where you have an off. Like, I've had administrative jobs for a long time. Like, you have a steady paycheck. You have a four hundred one k. You have. Why are you leaving to be an artist? That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely the black sheep of the family. I'll just say that <laughs> when it comes to my career and what I've chosen to do. And, uh, but I, I think, uh, I think I can make it work uh, at least for the next few years. So I'm sure there are other people who are artistically inclined in your family, even if they haven't, uh, pursued it for a living, but yeah, Uh, how it, if it is such an odd concept to them that you're an artist, how do you get them to participate in your, your work? Well, it's because my family is very supportive. So when I tell them, like when I go to my grandma and say, hey, grandma, let's collaborate on a crochet sculpture. 
she's she just says sure whatever you need mijo whatever you want and they'll jump in and help me or we do these performances called uh family fiesta where mm -hmm. we travel to different institutions and have an have like a old-fashioned old-school mexican party <laughs> in front of uh you know uh, we had one at crystal bridges museum of american art in Arkansas on the front lawn of the museum uh, we had one on the roof of the Nevada Museum of Art in Reno, and I just say, "Hey guys, you want to go to Reno with me? I'll pay for your plane ticket." Oh, and all we have, to, and we have to. What we're gonna do is just party, you know. <laughs> and they're like, "Sure, we'll go with you." They see it as a an adventure kind of thing, and uh, surprisingly, they don't ask questions. They're really there. Just it's just like a very Latino thing, just to like, "All right, Nico, we're just gonna go." And we're just gonna we're gonna help you whatever you need us to do, we'll 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 do it. So that's really really sweet. Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's been really cool. And uh, th yeah, they don't really they don't really ask questions. They're they're just there to help. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have two brothers, two half brothers, um, and they're pretty creative, um, but they. They didn't. They didn't go to college, so I feel like I feel like they would be better artists than I am if they actually if they went to art school because they're super talented. Um, one of my brothers is a musician, and one of them is, uh, is in construction right now. But he's a uh, he loves to draw, and mm. his drawings are amazing. So I think they just need to. Not that going to college is like the thing to do, but you know that would have just allowed them to spend more time working on their art, and I think that's what that's what it did for me. It just gave me the motivation to spend more time on it and think about yeah. what I was doing. So um, I always encourage my brothers to keep keep go, you know, spending time on on their on art. Also, you know, people got to eat, so people. I totally get it people got to eat that's true <laughs> um speaking of eating can you tell me about latinos who lunch <laughs> and about why why you guys started yeah. it and well latinos who lunch has been so fun to do it's a podcast uh with my friend emmanuel ortega who is an art historian so i love podcasts um podcasts have really you know you're t we're talking about our dark place at the beginning they've really taken me out of that place. Like the first thing I do in the morning is I get up and while I'm getting ready, I, I'll put on a podcast. Just, there's always a voice there. There's always, I always feel like I'm with a friend yeah. with podcasting. And I, I started, I, I found black podcasts a couple years ago and just, just podcasts made by black people for black people. And, uh, I really love that because it was like this community just making making these podcasts making this art for themselves because there wasn't anybody else doing it so they took it upon themselves to do it and I was I was really looking for a Latino version of that a brown version of that and I couldn't there wasn't really any podcast the closest was like NPR's Latino USA but that's like a very produced you know, I love podcasts like yours where it's like a conversation and it's just two people talking and it's not so formal. So for years, 
for a couple of years, I was telling my friend Emmanuel, we would be sitting at a coffee shop talking like, we should record this. This would be a fun <laughs> podcast, you know? You guys are so funny together. together. <laughs> <laughs> it's so oh cute. Um, so finally, I was like, you know what? Let's just borrow some equipment and let's make this happen. And Latinos Who Lunch had its first episode this past May. And now we're about, I don't know, 22 episodes deep. And uh, it's been an amazing experience. Uh, just uh, not only coming out with this podcast, but connecting. I feel like so- when we started Latinos Who Lunch, there wasn't, there weren't many podcasts out there like us. And then... I realized that at the same time we were thinking about having our own Latino podcast, so many other people were starting their own too. So now there's this amazing community of Latino podcasts and we've actually kind of cross interviewed on our show with some of our favorites. I started listening to uh, the Super Mamas one after you guys did that episode. I love it. <laughs> uh, Super Mamas. They're so cool. Yeah. And we, yeah, I was told we went to visit them in LA and I was so starstruck. I was like, these are amazing. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're so legit. Um, Super Mamas, Tamarindo podcast, um, Choices and Chismes. There's so many awesome ones. And, yeah, and now it's this, it's a, I consider it a job, right? This, this takes, well, you know, this mm-hmm. takes up a lot of time. Yeah. Especially when you produce it yourself and edit it yourself. So, but I'm going to keep going and I, I've committed to doing this for at least another year or two. And um, uh, what's been really cool about Latinos Who Lunch, um, by the way, it's, it's, we do eat. Uh, in the beginning of every episode, but that's not what the podcast is really about. It's just, you know, it's, it's the entry point, right? Right. Um, it's funny because I can tell people don't listen to the podcast because they think it's just like a food review podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, girl, you don't know. You don't know. No. <laughs> I did feel uh, like but... I, because I just had some like tofu green curry from the Thai place, I felt like I should tell you at the beginning of our conversation just because that's yeah. how you start your podcast. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that sounds so good right now. <laughs> it's a ra- it's eating... rainy here, so. Oh, I've been eating pizza the last like three days because there's like a pizza party at my house and nobody took any home. So, it's time it's time to switch it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, t- but... just so the listeners know, tell me a little bit about the stuff you guys talk about, and also like. Oh yeah. Have your goals changed since you started it? Like the kinds of things you want to talk about? Yeah. Um... We talk about, um, we'll we'll choose a topic for every episode. So some of our most popular episodes were about like Cholo culture and the exploitation of Cholo culture uh, in recent like media, like on YouTube or, um, you know, different different Latino centric uh, uh, networks that are on YouTube that sometimes are crossing that line between celebration and exploitation of our own culture. Yeah. So there's an episode on that. Uh, we ha- we did an episode on Juan Gabriel, who just passed away, who was an iconic Mexican pop star. Uh, we've done episodes on RuPaul. We've done <laughs> episodes, just whatever we like. Uh, yeah. um, 
we did a big post-election call-in episode. I really so we loved try that to, one. Yeah, we try, it, we try to switch it up and talk about different things. And um, I think that I think that we are finally now, like 20 episodes in, are finding our voices and kind of this rhythm that we get into and are really focusing on truly having conversations and not just uh, trying to make something that's that's entertaining for other people. I think the more personal that it gets, um, the better. So before, for example, we sometimes we would say something in Spanish and then we would explain what we just said so that everybody could understand. Now it's like, that doesn't matter. If you don't understand, if you don't under, if you don't speak Spanish, it's not like we go on forever. Like you understand what we're saying yeah. in the context of the conversation, you know? Yeah, totally. What, how, what do you feel? Do you feel that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I listen to it and I, I kind of love that. Yeah. Cause this is who you are and it's yeah. who you're making the podcast for. I'm at the yeah. very beginning of trying to learn Spanish. I've, <laughs> cause my, my husband is Cuban American. Um, All right. but you know, we've been together for 10 years and I keep saying I'm going to learn. So I'm, this year is the year I'm really going to make it happen. <laughs> but I'm sure you pick, pick it up once yeah. in a while, right? I can, I can understand more than I can speak. Yeah, totally. You know? Me too, actually. Yeah. We're, on the, we're on the safe level with that. Was it your first, um, your first language was Spanish? Spanish was my first language, but um, I just, I, after my, my brothers are younger. So after my brothers were born, um, and then we started going to school, you just kind of lose it. And my mom eventually just started talking to us in English too. So I think that's our predominant language now is, is English at home when we get together. But, you know, we, we still have old school people in our family that whenever we get together for like Christmas or Thanksgiving, they're like, no, no, Spanish only in this house. So <laughs> we, we still have to, we still have to practice Spanish, which is great, which I love because, um, it's it's especially in the u.s and the west it's great to be bilingual and yeah, speak of spanish course. of course yeah it, and that's something that i love about the podcast latinos who lunch is it's reconnected me to my latinidad to my latino side because i think i was especially in the art world like you're just you're just in all these white spaces all the time. And, and as a Latino, you have to code switch. You have to filter yourself to fit in or give people what they want. So having a having an avenue and this podcast to just be myself and then reconnect with my my brown side is been, has been really awesome. And, and I'm excited to see how that's reflected in my artwork. Um, so... Because now, whenever whenever I'm making a piece of artwork, for example, I, that's always in the that's in the back of my head now. Like, who am I truly making this for? Am I making it for myself, or am I making it for a white audience? It's like, am I making fun of myself? Am I exploiting myself, or right. am I celebrating my culture? Right. Kind of thing. So it's the same ideas, but totally different medium. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's something that um, my husband talks about and a couple of people I've had on the podcast, like being a first generation young person in this country and like how that affects you as an artist and the things that people think you can do or think you should do. Um, and like, yeah, wanting wanting to work and wanting to 
be successful, but also not wanting to be forced into stereotypes. Yes. Yes. The expectation of, yeah, of what you can do and what you're supposed to know, you know, that, that is something that I definitely, that's the theme in my artwork or it has been, it's kind of switched around though. Like I said, it, it was, I was, was making a lot of artwork about the expectations of a Latino in America and now it's now I've kind of switched it around and and I a lot of my work is about reclaiming that reclaiming my identity or taking it back reappropriating things mm. because like the taco for example like what even is a taco anymore in America yeah like going to like the Midwest and eating tacos there, you're like, what is, what is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think the taco, the taco will make a comeback in a good way pretty soon. (laughs) In Trump's America. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about the show you have in Denver right now? How's that going? Oh, sure. Um, I It's going great. I, I'm in this show at the Denver Art Museum. It's called uh, Mi Tierra, Contemporary Artist Explore Place. So it's 13 contemporary artists doing installation work. And it opens February 19th. And I have to go back at the end of January and finish my installation. And my installation is based on Frida Kahlo, mm-hmm. um, based on the idea of Frida Kahlo and uh, the ties with Mexico and the ties with our idea of home. So I'm doing an installation uh, where I've made this big mural in one of the galleries out of paper. So it's like a pinata mural of the Valley of Mexico, and they're replicas of of 19th century paintings by Jose Maria Velasco, who to me was the, he was, he was kind of the iconic Mexican painter before Frida Diego. So um, the walls are lined with those landscapes. And then in the center of the room, I'm doing a replica of the set from the movie Frida with Selma Hayek that came out in 2002. So mm-hmm. the Casa Azul Garden, the little atrium that's in the movie at the very beginning, right. that's going to be all recreated with paper. So I finished the murals, uh, but I have to go back uh, in January January 21st or something and finish the, the garden in the center. That sounds amazing. And it's all, yeah. that, that the garden is all life-size? Yeah, it'll oh all be life-size, so you'll be able to walk through it, yeah. um yeah so it's a huge project and i'm really i'm really excited about this opportunity and uh it's it it's uh it's been a challenge because i feel like i'm you talk about it on your show a lot the whole imposter syndrome thing like i've Mm -hmm. had to snap myself out of it so many times like um, it's, it's been a really cool opportunity and I just, uh, I hope that it turns out well, we'll see. <laughs> I really wish I could see it. Is that, um, have you done a lot of shows outside of Las Vegas of your, your work or is this kind of a newer experience to like 
go and like do your work and then you leave it behind and people are looking at it without you there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's well, that's the thing about being an a artist here in Las Vegas is uh, you kind of have to, you have to, to be, to be a full-time artist, you have to show your work in other places because they, at the moment, there is there are no venues. There's not enough venues for you to be showing year around here, without people getting sick of you. So, <laughs> um, it's a smaller art community here, but it is a substantial one. And um, they're working. We don't. We don't. We're the largest metropolitan area without an art museum in the United States. Oh wow! So we don't have an art museum in Las Vegas. So that says a lot. Yeah. Uh, um, but changing. Um, they're, they're, they have designated a place for the new art museum, um, and it'll be in the downtown area, and I think they're going to start working on it pretty soon. So that that's going to be a game changer and hopefully encourage more galleries. And, and, you know, and we do have an arts district, and hopefully that will kind of start picking up again because it was pretty good for a while before the, you know, before the market crash in the 2000s. There was a pretty cool um, art scene here in Las Vegas, gallery scene, I should say. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's something that uh, I, I I have to travel now to kind of show my work, and it's been cool because I I, I love representing Las Vegas. People people are super intrigued. Like an artist living in Las Vegas, what do you what do you do? You work in a casino? I'm like, uh. I have, <laughs> I have worked at casinos, yes, but no, they're, you know, it's just a regular town like anywhere else, and, um, yeah, I've shown in, like I told you before, I've shown in Arkansas and now Denver, and it's, I've always, I think for the last like five years, I've had shows outside of Vegas just because of that fact. Yeah. I, when I first met Kim in college, I just, I couldn't believe she grew up in Las Vegas. I was like... Oh, <laughs> it's not somewhere people just visit. They, you, you grew up there. Yeah. That's crazy. Totally. Um, let's see. How long have I kept you here? Uh, is there something from like the last year that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about? Like a lesson you've learned or something like that? It doesn't have to be like a huge event, but. Let's see. I think that I'm finally, I mean, I think this happens to, I turned 30, so that was a, I didn't think it was going to be a big deal, but now that I'm thinking about the past year, it is a big deal, yeah. and it's, I see myself giving a shit about what other people think more and more every day, so, <laughs> so the... So that realization, like, oh, hey, like, I don't care if that person doesn't like me. You know what? Fuck that person. I'm <laughs> cool. Like, I don't need their acceptance. Yeah. I'm going to keep stepping. It's going to be fine. That's great. That letting go of people and letting go of that, that, that need for everybody to like you has been huge. Um, and then also saying, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no. I'm going to start saying no to people and I'm going to start hanging out with people that I actually love 
and that I love being around. Speaking of uh, our mutual friend, Kim, yeah. anytime I can spend time with her, I do because she's fucking awesome. I love yeah. her, and that's the kind of people that I want to keep around me, people that are positive and encouraging. And then that also checks me, like, wh- why am I talking shit? Why am I complaining all the time to this person? Because sometimes you build relationships, and that's all. That's what I realized, too. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, some of the relationships that I have are just based on talking shit about other people or complaining. Yeah. And then when you you realize that, and you can say, wait, 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 let's, what's going, like, let's talk about something positive that's happened. Like, let's not, let's not dwell on. It's easy to do. It's easy to, it's easy to fall into that trap. Yeah. and, And some of my relationships with friends have completely changed because of that in really positive ways like now it's like oh wow I guess we really have to get to know each other now because we're not just complaining anymore you know yeah so it's cool it's pretty cool and um yeah I think that's that's one of my big that's probably my biggest uh realization of 2016 is it's okay if not everybody likes you like you need to get over that shit nobody (laughs) Nobody likes that anyway in the first place. You know what yeah. I mean? Why does it take us that long to learn that? I wish that I had learned that so know. much earlier. Isn't that crazy? I think we just get tired. I think we just get tired. <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm just an old, I'm already, I feel like I'm already like 70 because I'm like, <laughs> I went out the other night and I was like, really? With my cousins. I have a lot of, I'm one of the oldest cousins in my on my, I'm half Mexican, half Guatemalan. Uh-huh. My Guatemalan side, there's like 80 first cousins. So oh my it's gosh. Like a lot. Yeah. So we went out the other night and we went to this bar downtown here in Vegas. And I could not believe how loud it was there. <laughs> and I just said, like, to my cousins, like, are you kidding me? We're going to, we're going to pay money to drink at this place? <laughs> I don't think so. Let's go somewhere where you can sit down and talk. And, and they're like, Justin, you're just old now. And I'm like, I guess I'm old because I'm too old for this. I would rather be somewhere quiet right now. Let's I, yeah. just go. So that that's something else that I'm enjoying now is the quiet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I'm totally the same way. How is it in New York, though? Like, do you have to... There's people everywhere. Like, do you have your places to hide or like to just, I mean, breathe? I, I do. It's harder in the winter, honestly, because a lot of those places yeah. are like the parks and stuff like that. But it, there's a certain amount of anonymity, which is kind of another yeah. way of being alone. Like I, I'm always listening to podcasts. I've always got my headphones in and because there's so many people and they don't know you. And other people are doing crazier shit on yeah. the train or on the streets. So it's like nobody's going to care if if you're sitting there talking to yourself or whatever you're doing. It, there, it does kind of feel yeah. like you're alone in public, which is weird. Yeah, because probably everybody has that mentality there. Like, don't, I'm just doing yeah. my thing. Don't bother me. Every once Honestly. in a while, I do miss, like, that feeling of, like, being in your car when you really feel, like, totally alone. Yeah, I don't, I don't have that anymore. Or like in our apartment, luckily they're not doing it right now. But like the kids who live upstairs are always stomping, yeah. stomping around. So you're like, I'm not alone, even though I'm alone in my apartment. I can feel the people. 
Nice. Yeah. Have you been to New totally. York? Yeah, and that's why I'm asking you because when I went there, I felt like I couldn't see sky and it was just such a weird thing to come back to Las Vegas after being in New York for a couple of weeks and like like being like, "Oh my gosh, like I can see the sky, like I can breathe." <laughs> you know, I just felt like in New York there was just you just move at a different pace there and uh I felt like, yeah, people were just always on top of me, but that's because I'm used to the West and just being, just having, you know, having a, <laughs> having a giant garage space, yeah, you know, to myself, being in a car, having, you know, eight lane streets in Las Vegas, basically, you know. Yeah. Well, that's, since I grew up in the woods in Michigan and I do, yeah. I, I kind of, I like both. Like if I leave the city it's always a good break, but then I miss it and I want to come back. Or if I'm in the country, I love it, but then I miss, I miss the city. I miss being able to walk everywhere. Yeah. Um, all of that. That is nice. That I will say. I love that. That is really, that really is awesome. Yeah. I've got to, I have a little taste of that here living downtown now at this artist residency. I could like walk to a coffee shop or like walk to, you know, uh, the s- store but it's not, it's not like New York. Not, <laughs> not like that. It's, it's very, it's like pretend, pretend city here when it comes to that. Um, do you ever, or you're just used to it because you grew up there, but do you ever get uh, overwhelmed by the amount of like tourists and the whole scene of the strip and everything? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, we, I feel that as Las Vegans, we stay away from the strip at all costs so like the only reason i actually go on to the las vegas strip is to show people around like friends around so uh there's people that come visit las vegas and they see vegas they see the strip more than i do i mean when i i used to work at caesar's palace on the strip so i had to go there every day but it wasn't like I was walking on Las Vegas Boulevard. I went in through the back entrance and just ducked out, you know, through the basement. It's not like I was on the strip every day. But, right. um, yeah, we. I think we stay away from it because it is overwhelming. It is pretty crazy out there. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's insane. And especially now, um, it feels like... You know, like on Hollywood Boulevard where there's all those like people dressed up in costumes and everybody's busking and all that? That's become the, the whole strip now, and it's just packed full of that stuff. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, people say that they don't like Vegas because it's fake, and it's just like all this, you know, all these facades and fake architecture and fake people. But I think the reality is that it's too real. Like you're faced, you're faced with reality. Every time you walk out on the strip, you're like, Holy shit, (laughs) what are these people doing here? You know, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, just seeing, seeing the the shift in Las Vegas because it's no longer about gambling, which, which used to be the big draw to Vegas. Now it's about having these kind of big experiences walking around and, you know, looking at these big fountains and going to see your favorite DJ here and eating a really expensive meal there. But before right. it was like $2 buffet and you get to play slot machines, you know, it's a whole <laughs> different scene. What are some of your favorite, uh, like, 
local Vegas spots, artistic or otherwise, that you like to go to when you want to be inspired or um, in case anyone listening happens to be out there? I love downtown Vegas. So there's there's a difference. So people think that our downtown is the Strip, Las Vegas Boulevard. That actually is not. It kind of divides the town in half from the west side to the east side of Vegas. So the Strip used to be the highway that got you to the original downtown here in Vegas, and that's Fremont Street. Fremont Street, um, to be honest, it's no better than Las Vegas Boulevard. I've been there once, uh, but it was a long time ago. It's also very real there and very sad, but there's really amazing signs there. I love neon, and there are amazing neon signs down there. You can see some signs that are, have been there since, like, the 1950s. And for Vegas, mid-century is a long time ago. Like, that's our history here, right? So <laughs> the old thing standing, I think, was built in, I think, ni- uh, like, 19... 19- 1905 or something so like that's our oldest structure on yeah on fremont street so um it's still there and so walking up and down that is is fun just to get perspective and there's like a the east side of fremont street that's like a new like gentrified bar district which is which is fun sometimes but i think my favorite things to do are off the strip um, there's actually a lot of nature around Las Vegas. So we have Red Rock Canyon, uh, national park. We have the Valley of fire, just a little bit, uh, a little bit out of Vegas. And, um, I just went on a walk, uh, at the wetland. We have a wetlands park here that it's with all the reclaimed water from the strip. They actually have filled in some land and it's like this really cool, almost nature preserve. Oh, cool. So I, that's, that's what I do to kind of escape sometimes. But there are very, I don't want to hate on the strip because there are very important moments that, <laughs> that I always kind of, I'm going to call moments, like experiences on the strip that, that are very unique to Las Vegas and important to me in nostalgic sense or or just in a I don't know to me they're just kind of magical like going to going to the flamingo for example and just standing out in their garden and just hanging out with a bunch of pink flamingos in the middle of a casino right like (laughs) that's pretty special or yeah um the moment when, when I was walking outside of the Bellagio after Whitney Houston died and uh, the dancing waters outside of the Bellagio were choreographed to Whitney Houston singing the national anthem. That was, that was incredible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or um, the fact that you can go to uh, the MG, the um, Aria or the Crystals. Crystals is like a very fancy mall inside of one of the co- casino compounds. And the Louis Vuitton store in there has a James Turrell uh, installation on the fourth floor that you can go there for free. You just sign oh. up. You just call them up and go and, and experience that, right? Like, 
that James Terrell piece, if it was in L.A., for example, there would be a four-month waiting list to go inside of it and experience it. But here in Las Vegas, you can literally call the day of or the day before and experience that um, because it's owned by Louis Vuitton on the Strip, right? And so there's a lot of really cool, cool places uh, from an artist's perspective or an artist's point of view to, to view on the Strip. Yeah. When you're working as a curator, like for the spaces that you're um, in charge of, what's that like for you? What, what kinds of things do you look for? How do you find out about new artists? That kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that is, uh, that's been fun because, you know, being in Las Vegas and in the art scene, you kind of get caught up with the same people. So being a curator, we, do a, we actually do a call once a year to to set up the programming for the next season so that's coming up uh, in the next month and i've been getting submissions lately so that's how we do it we put the call out but really it's me recruiting people so to uh send in their applications so it's uh it's been interesting and it's also been a challenge because i won't show work that maybe hasn't been thought of before or just it's so cheesy to use this term, but just think outside the box, you know, like it can, it's when you go into a community center or a cultural center, you're used to seeing certain types of artwork. Um, and that's because those centers are meant to serve the community and you want artwork in there that's accessible. Yeah. Um, and that everybody can understand. And I totally get that because that's my mission with my art too, you know, but, uh, but I think there's a way to get contemporary art in those spaces that's also for the community and it's actually serving that purpose. So that's kind of been the cool balance for me is like trying to find contemporary artists to show in those spaces uh, that maybe have work that will make people think a little bit, but also work that makes sense for those spaces challenging artists that are more traditional maybe uh to to do bigger installations like i have a there's a lot of really amazing illustrators here in town that work for magazines or uh are them to think about making their work on a different scale or uh things like that so also talking to those what we what would be considered folk artists or street artists and and as a curator maybe getting them to think of their work a little but differently for or specifically for the space and not just thinking, oh, shit, I have to make eight paintings to fill that room. Right. No, like really think about as a sculptor, as an installation artist. No, think about that room as your canvas. Think about that room as your installation space instead of just making artwork to sell. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the that's the fun challenge. <laughs> when you are in a in a place where you're feeling like you're going to the dark side or you're not inspired or... Um, are there concrete things that you reach for again and again? Like a certain artist, you like to look at their work or a book you read or whatever? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. <laughs> there is this video that I always go back to that gets me that gets me in a better mood, and it's from the early 2000s when Oprah had a Legends Ball. Do you know about these Legends Balls? No. Legends Balls. 
<laughs> so she used to have this thing called the Legends Ball. So Oprah Winfrey would open her house up and set up her backyard like church, basically. So she'd set up all of these all these lawn chairs, set up a stage, all these umbrellas, and invite all the divas, all the legends. <laughs> right? Okay. So there's this video. So think of like all the famous gospel singers and then all the famous diva pop stars. So, you know, it's not only is it uh, Shirley Caesar and all these other amazing gospel in the audience, Shaka Khan, Diana Ross, uh, Dionne Warwick. Okay, so, and everybody's there, Mariah Carey, all those people. There's this episode from the Legends Ball where they just start improving this this gospel song, and all these famous singers start grabbing the mic and just going off. And like Oprah says in the clip, Jesus showed up. And he showed out. (laughs) It is one of the most amazing videos ever. And Patti LaBelle closes it when she grabs the mic. She kills it. She (laughs) just goes off. Like, it it made me believe in God again. Like, it was amazing. (laughs) That sounds amazing. It's yeah, it's an amazing video and I and I try to watch it. I I, I don't want to get desensitized, you know, so I, I watch it I think at my lowest moments when I'm like, Oh man, I'm not feeling great right now. I need something <laughs> to pick me up and I will put that video on and just feel the spirit. The l- last time I saw it was during Thanksgiving because one of my cousins was actually feeling low and I was like, All right, let's <laughs> I gotta show you a bit. What what would what would one type into the search on YouTube to find such a video? Jesus shows up at Oprah's Legends Ball. Okay. Yeah, I'll send you the link. I'm gonna I'll, watch I'll it immediately. <laughs> that sounds incredible. <laughs> That's one of the things that I like to watch. Um, this is my new favorite also... answer to this question. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my God! Also, Pat. LaBelle singing the ABCs on Sesame Street. <laughs> that will get you feeling great. Okay. It, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also certain movies that are really great, I think. I love watching the movie Selena. That's like one of, that's like comfort food, right? The, mm-hmm. There's certain films that uh, that take you back to a, to a better place. Um <laughs> So movies like Selena or movies like, uh, uh, I really, I know it's just so stupid, but I love Mean Girls. I love that okay. movie. It's but. a great, it's a smart <laughs> movie. All right. And then yeah. it, well, is there anything that you've seen recently that you want to recommend of, of any art form? Yeah. I mean, I just saw the movie Moonlight and that was pretty special. I don't usually go to the movies, um, which I don't know why. I I love movies, but I never make the effort to go. I think it's a, I don't know. I think it's a growing up poor thing where we never went. So I feel like it's this, I feel like it's this luxury that I can't afford. 
but then like I go to a bar and buy get two drinks and I spend the same amount of fucking money. So right. it's just like, it's weird. <laughs> it's this weird mentality. But um uh yeah, Moonlight was really special. I just saw that. So good. Um so I recommend you see that. It's it's a really beautiful coming of age movie and just the cinematography, the acting, oh color, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Um and as far as I want to recommend some podcasts because Please. that's all I do is listen to podcasts. I just started listening to the podcast called The Racist Sandwich, and, and it's really awesome. Okay. It's about it's relating race to food. Um, that I think the people that make that are are in the Northwest somewhere, and um, so The Racist Sandwich has been one of my faves lately. Uh, also the podcast, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name. Oh, it's a, it's a WNYC podcast called the Sporkful. It's very similar, um, uh, done by Dan Pashman. I fucking love the Sporkful. Um, all these food podcasts that I have to listen to after I eat, because if I listen <laughs> to them before I get so hungry. <laughs> Yeah, but um, uh, there's a lot of really great uh, independent podcasts also that I love to listen to. One of them is called Chicano Cast okay. out of Los Angeles. It's just this like 50 something year old Chicano in his garage, I think, and he puts them out like once a month. Um, but yeah, those are just a few of my recommendations. That's awesome. What a, what a, what's new? Can I ask you questions? Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> What, what's, what are you up to? What are you, what is next for you this year? You know, I'm going to try to feel like, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I, I feel like this week I need to like reevaluate with the podcast and think about what I'm, what I'm doing with it, but it's, yeah. it's been like a year and a half and I'm still going strong and I'm, I'm doing a play right now. So it's I like the last since, since like the beginning of November, I feel like I haven't been focusing on the podcast as much, which is great because I have another artistic outlet right now. Um, yeah, I want to kind of zero back in and see like, okay, what's what's the goal? What's the goal this year? Right. So I'm doing that, and then I, yeah, I'm doing this Chekhov play right now that takes place in a bar. So it's like half drinking game, half Chekhov play, and it's a lot of fun. So that's been that's been really nice. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How do, how does um. How much time, yeah, how many times does your podcast come out every other week? Every Friday. Every Friday. Every Friday? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, do you feel like uh, it's, the podcast is helping you like in your, in your like art? I do. You know what I mean? Your practice? I do. And it's, it's been really positive. Uh, like you were talking about earlier, like just to sit down with the people who I find are positive influences in my life and who I know are thoughtful about these kinds of issues as artists. And so to make that a priority of like at least once a week, I get to sit down with someone I really respect and talk about real things and not just bullshit or small talk. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it helps me as a person and it helps helps keep me a healthy artist, I think, and I'm learning a lot from all of them. Yeah. So it's been really, it's been really good for me. I would like to find, I, I'd like to like grow 
my listenership a little more this year. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just something yeah. I do. It's something I do because I enjoy it. So I try not to put too much stress on myself yeah. about making it more professional or whatever because it's it's not worth making it stressful. Yeah. Totally. Do you, what You're on Lipson, right? That's what you used to host it? Yeah. What do you guys use? Yeah. I, we were on Lipson, and now we're on this thing called Audio Boom. Okay. And Audio Boom, um, maybe you should think about switching to Audio Boom because it's free. Really? And and they and they match you with advertisers. So if you notice, some of our new episodes have little ads at the beginning. Yeah, I was gonna ask you how that came about. They contacted us, um, but if you're interested, maybe I can recommend you and. I think you can just start hosting on there for free, but um, oh. it's cool because then they'll, they distribute it to, like, we've got more listens because of them because they distribute it to everything, like Stitcher and Podbean mm-hmm. and all that, all the other extra, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just an option. Is it uh, making you a few, <laughs> a few pennies here and there with those ads? Yeah, I think it's... For every thousand listens, you get like four bucks or something. Awesome. So we've made like four dollars, <laughs> but it's but it's free, but it's free um, free hosting, which is nice. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's cool. I can't wait to see what happens to your like if you, you know, it's it's podcasts are so important. I think to so many people, especially especially podcasts that are conversational, because you really feel a connection. And then when you come out like every week. It's something constant, and even if it's just in a few households that listen to you, you know, a few people, it's still pretty cool. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was such a pleasure. Yeah, it was so nice meeting you. listening to the compass podcast i'm leah walsh more episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook and itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick Choksi, and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.